This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 653, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. Episode number 653. I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. You all know his name, how he earns a living. <laughs> we are a fanboy. Every week we read our stack of comics. One of them picks their favorite book, and we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book. We talk about some other books. Usually about 40% of them are written by Tom King. We're working on that. <laughs> the patron pick. And uh, maybe if we have time, we will listen to some listener mail. The goal here is your, and completely honest, our entertainment. You're going to talk about what happens in the books, so there will be spoilers, there's your warning. Connor, you had the pick of the week this week. I did, and I think it was last week, although I can't remember because of the cold medicine, if we threw down the gauntlet for comics this week and said it's your move because we had two weeks in a row that we thought were really strong. Mm-hmm. I had another really strong week. At the end of the reading comics, I had I didn't have an immediate choice, but I went through my little checklist and I identified six books that I would put in the top echelon. Oh, wow. These books, I could all justify making the pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Now, of these six, which was my favorite? I ended up with Action Comics 1003. Brian Michael Bendis, Yannick Paquette, Nathan Fairbairn, Josh Reed. A bit of a surprise pick, I bet, for a lot of people. But I'm on a Superman high right now. I just can't, I can't help it. And after that bookplode we did, where we talked about Superman Blue, Electric Superman from the 90s, I think what Bendis is doing here is really tapping that vein. It feels very much like those kinds of comics. It's firmly back in Metropolis with the supporting cast. Mm -hmm. Even the cover, which is a terrific Patrick Leeson cover, is very much feels like a 90s cover with the dramatic caption. And I'm not saying I'm having a 90s revival, but it, it just feels like what Bendis is doing here is tapping into a really fun Superman vein, the likes of which... I don't know if I've read since the Dan Jurgens era. And I'm just going to use that to encompass the entire 90s Superman era. You mean Dan Jurgens' recent era? No. <laughs> well, we, we liked that too. But for that reason. But there was a different feeling. I think they were still working out what Superman was. And the modern Dan Jurgens era was very much dominated by Jonathan and that dynamic. True. And this has gone back to Superman in Metropolis, Clark Kent, the reporter. And it's great. Is that at the beginning of this, they literally blasted Jonathan into space. <laughs> right, exactly. With his stupid father, who shouldn't have existed either. And if, if there's any justice to these people, they just won't ever mention them again. Like the first season of Weeds. I want them to take Damien with them. Mm-hmm. Take him on like a little have, science trip. Back around. I mean, there is a book called Super Sons coming back about the two kids, but maybe it can be set in space. Mm-hmm. And that's, they could just live in that bubble and bother no one again. This feels much more traditionally Superman than even that Dan Jurgens run did. And it, it just, I'm on, I'm on a kick right now. I'm on a Superman kick. It didn't hurt that this featured Yannick Paquette on art, who is terrific. And this was, I thought, a really well-structured issue in which the new reporter of the Daily Planet, who we know is working with the criminals, goes to a shady criminal bar, gets an item from the shady criminals there. We find out it's a little kryptonite, piece of kryptonite. So now we have the gun waiting to go off, right? Back at the office, Clark's in his ill-fitting suit at the Daily Planet, and she comes back, and so then we have that panic moment where he gets sick, and he's got a cover for that. And then, of course, Batman shows up in the middle, as the cover predicted, and he takes the kryptonite from the criminal, says, I'll, I'll, I'll have this, thank you. And I think his voice even cracked at the end like that. What if Batman sounded like that? Would he be as intimidating? Yeah. I'll have this, thanks. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I mean, not in the same way. No. It would be would be awkwardly intimidating. Like, oh, I need to get away from this dude. So she goes back to the criminal bar and says, hey, which one of you rats ratted me out to Batman? Because he knew I had it. And then the, the red mist, which we've seen before, shows up and kills the woman she's talking to. Superman shows up and she is able to play the damsel in distress to success. And then there's a nice little cliffhanger involving Lex Luthor and Lois Lane, who I guess is Lois Lane because we have resolved how she's back, but also still in space. Really well constructed. That's my favorite clue to the fact that Space John won't be coming back is that they just quietly moved her back to Earth (laughs) and didn't mention anything about it. No, no, she's working on a book. But what about the kid? Yeah, so she's working on a book. 
But you were a Jonathan fan. I was. I enjoyed that series. I enjoyed Superman as father. It's over now. You enjoy his entire catalog. Yeah, but I have no problem with moving along from it like it never happened. I liked the experience, but yeah. now let's reset the board again. You did that. And I, have, I don't care about the continuity, repercussions, or any of that. Mm-hmm. I just say, all right, wipe it. When I was done with this issue, I thought it, it just hit on so many great Superman levels. I mm-hmm. loved the scene with Superman and Batman together after Batman gets the kryptonite. We talked about this before, but I think there's only a few characters where Batman can lighten up, and I think Superman is one of them. Yeah. Lighten up in Batman terms, not so much. There's still that, like, like he says the thing about, you know, like, oh, I've got it. Yeah. There's the, the implied threat, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But he's, he's going to make it into a friendship necklace. That's nice. That made me laugh. <laughs> he shouldn't make that joke with the Flash, but he should make it with Superman. Right. And Yannick Paquette is terrific. I like it when he shows up. It's, I don't know if he can or can't do a, a regular book. He hasn't really done, I haven't seen him do a, re, you know, a monthly book since it was a Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, six years ago, seven years ago. Jesus, that long ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm happy when he shows up. He, yeah, he draws a happened. great lantern-jawed Superman. Mm-hmm. His Clark Kent is great. I love that how he falls over and everyone's like, Jesus, you're big. But yeah. They can't get him up. I, I liked that that scene uh, specifically, like the drama in that scene was that are they going to learn Superman's identity? And that just felt like such a quaint thing. Yep. And also, I love those, the great detail of he hates it when you touch his tie. I did too. Under the tie would be the suit. You know, if you loosen his tie, you're going to see the the suit. Like it's a thing that people know about him. Yeah, I just love that. That that's never that's I've, good, I've never seen good, that before. Good. You know what my favorite part was? What when he shows up at the bar and he you just hear what happened here and the the last what just happened here and then as you flip it, it's Superman coming into the bar and he just goes, "I asked a question." Yeah. So I like it when he gets a little like angry, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like with people, like these aren't necessarily supervillains, but he's like, okay, motherfuckers, you do need to pay attention to me now, which I think is kind of, kind of raw. Like, I yeah. mean, like, don't piss off dad. Yeah, for sure. He did that before, like an issue or two ago in one of them, there was something where like, he was like, I don't have time to be nice right now. And so there is an element of that, that to me, like a hundred percent, Bendis has like 48 adopted kids at this point. So yeah. like. He understands that, like, I want to be the good guy, I want to be the nice guy, but sometimes I got to take care of shit, you know, and Superman would have that aspect, and I like that. Totally. Oh, Superman's in a great spot right now, and I could not be happier about it. Bendis continues, much like Rick Remender, to get terrific artists to work with him. Bendis has a track record of not only discovering new people, but getting really great veterans to work on his stuff. I also think he's better, like, there was a little while where this, the people he was interested in, where I was a little like, really? That guy? And I feel like he's he's honed that in a little more. <laughs> and just to be clear, I'm not talking about like David LaFuente or something like that, which I think some people be like, why would you do that? I love David LaFuente, but I think yeah. there was a period where he was super into David Finch and then he was really into Mike Diodato and I thought those were odd choices. But maybe not for the books they were on. I don't know. I've come to really like both of those a lot more than I used to. Things change. Tastes change. Times change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, they're not my favorites, but I can I can get it. And even though this is an ongoing story... This is a mm-hmm. terrific issue that anyone can pick up and read and enjoy and get a full experience. Absolutely. It gives you enough information. You know that the woman in the beginning is bad. You don't need no more, no more than that. If you haven't read these books yet, if you haven't checked out Bendis' Superman yet, this is a terrific issue to, to check out. Action Comics 1003. I'm not used to that four-digit thing yet. No, it's throwing me off. It's, it's a lot of numbers in my mouth. It's a really great Hold on, issue. I'm going to write something about a power here. Hang on. <laughs> Let's see, I'll work on that and see if I can come up with anything by the I don't know if it's true or not, but I feel like every time Doomsday Clock comes out, it's in the same week as another giant book. This week we had Heroes in Crisis number one, Tom King, Clayman, Tamumare, Clayton Cowles, and this is the big of. I don't. I mean, I don't know what it is an event anymore, but this, this is the big book that they've been leading to for a while. It's a big uh, universe. Ver, uh, um, what's the word when it goes across spanning uh, miniseries? Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's the idea. It, it sort of is going to, and it's like you know. It's across the mainstream part of the line. And it's got Crisis in the name. Uh-oh. I didn't even put that together. One of nine. Uh, has Clayman always been this good? Well, here's the thing. I think that he's been going towards this for sure. First time I knew Clayman, I believe he drew a Magneto miniseries that was Scotty Young's first published like oh, wow. miniseries. 
And so I knew him sort of from back then because Scotty told me about it. And he was pretty good. You know, it, it wasn't wasn't great. You'd see him pop up here and there. Then he did a run of Batman not too long ago. And we yep. basically said the same thing, right. but to a lesser extent. We're like, well, this, is, this is really pretty good. And then sort of like, so this is like the next step, which has happened very soon in that evolution. And, and earlier in the week, you know, like a week ago or so, Tom King had said something like, the artists on this book are doing the best thing in superhero comics right now. And I was sort of joking with him. I was like, you know, you work with Mitch right now who just won an Eisner. And Mitch is like, no, he's not wrong. And so I kind of had a high expectations. And I was like, how good can it be? And it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good uh, stuff. We talked about the run up to this. And I have some slight reservations about injecting PTSD and trauma into superhero comics. So that sort of weighed into the background of my reading okay. of it. On the other hand, I liked this issue. I didn't love it, but I liked it. And I think one of the reasons why I liked it but didn't love it is that it didn't give me a lot to go on. Even though a lot of things supposedly happened in it, there's not enough information to really gauge what is it, what actually is it. I'm reading well, it. Well, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that I should have known going into this? I don't think so. I don't either. Okay, which which is fine. In that way, it works. Like this is what all first issues seem to be now is are, are they're teasers. Yeah, really. They're you know a cold open. You're not supposed to get anything. You're supposed to see who's in it. You're supposed to see some great artwork. You're supposed to see you know a cliffhanger at the end, and then all will be revealed presumably. Mm-hmm. In that way, it, it's sort of among the least vague of a Tom King first issue. Maybe depending on what's actually happening. It feels a little more mainstream. Than a lot of the stuff, I guess, and and not in a bad way. It just a, like a a better blend, maybe for a, a wider audience. It feels about as mainstream as Batman. That's true, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm I think I'm comparing it to Mister Miracle yeah. and some of what I would consider to be sort of his prestige runs. Yeah, you're you're probably right, but I mean, I think that's something that he gained while working on Batman. Mm. So, I mean, the only things that really have led up to this that I've read is you know Wally. We we've been reading Flash, Wally West getting sent to Sanctuary, and that was really it. I don't remember what that is. Well, this this is sanctuary, the house. Right, right, right. Is where, is okay. where heroes go to heal mentally. Right. Okay. We haven't seen it before. This I is dropped the flash. You dropped the flash. We were saying I, I got to drop some stuff, and I was looking at everything this week, and I was like, it's pretty good, but I I I'm not reading it because I love it. So I stopped. This week didn't matter. Exactly. It didn't tie into this. Mm-hmm. So sanctuary is a place where heroes go to who need mental health help is it not a person is there a person called sanctuary or no it could be it could be that well the house is definitely called sanctuary the person right, is also okay. a person so in interspersed in the stories we see there's a bunch of nine panel grid one pages of heroes talking to whoever it is i guess we can just call them sanctuary for now so you've got harley quinn you got blue jay and arsenal and other hot spot hot spot i've never heard of was wally one of them no just arsenal yeah a booster gold if you read the Polygon joint interview with Tom King and Brian Bendis, which is terrific, check it out if you haven't read it. He said, yeah, I mean, everyone knows this is my exploration of PTSD, but I don't want it to be about that. I don't want you to think that's what it's about. It's about a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. The big mystery is Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman show up to Sanctuary because something has happened, and they find everyone inside Sanctuary dead except for Booster and Harley who have gone, but Harley's trying to kill Booster, but everyone else is dead. Wally West is dead. Arsenal's dead. This hotspot character is dead. Blue Jay is dead. Very gruesomely. I didn't realize the birds were eating him until I flipped back. I did. I actually zoomed in. Before I read his thing, I sort of zoomed in on the digital page. And I was like, that's got stuff. And then I compared it to the other page. I was like, oh, that's the helmet of that dude from the other page. I just thought it was blue entrails. And I kept going. And then I was like, wait a minute. And I went back and I was like, oh, that's dark. Hmm. So everyone's quote unquote dead. So Harley was there? Yeah, Harley was there. Okay. So... I mean, my thing with this would be like I'm 100% okay with I, – I don't want all my books to be like this. We've just been talking. We've literally been talking for weeks now about how, hey, let's do 90s Superman kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but if anybody's going to get to do it, I'm okay with Tom King do it. And I'm totally okay with it doing it with a sort of enclosed miniseries type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this is going to go over, you know, every, you know how it's going to go into everything else. But, like, it's done really well. It feels to me like a little like Identity Crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how how that started out and it's a mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, I know that's got to be in the back of his mind when he's thinking about it. There already feels like there are consequences. Some major characters have died. I, I just I just air quoted because who knows yeah. what that means. I would be 
surprised and shocked if these characters are all really dead. I would be very surprised if they, after bringing back Wally West with all the fanfare that they did, mm-hmm. basically killed him off camera. I would be very surprised, and that's why I don't buy what I'm reading in terms of the reality. Yeah, of the but there is a level of doubt, so you kind of don't know, which is which is enough to make it sure. intriguing. Sure. I, you know what's interesting is that like we're in a little bit of a rebirth of Booster Gold, which happens every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And I think he also had a at least a few issues in that Superman Blue yep. book, and, uh, Batman, and then Batman. he was in. Tom used him in Batman. Batman for yeah. a while. Like I just been around a little bit, so it feels like they primed the pump for more Booster Gold, and and all of that has been his big blustery, making bad decisions, doing whatever. And I like that this is the other side of that. Like, there's no way that dude's not fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with exploring that. Yeah, you know, our Roy, he's got dumb glasses and a hat, so that's a problem. <laughs> that, that's that's enough. You know, and I like the idea that there are a couple of other sort of lesser silly heroes yeah. that would be there too who couldn't handle their shit. So I, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Yeah, and I love how how it looks, but that's all I can say at this point about it. I think that this book is vastly more enjoyable to me because of the fact that you and I get to talk about it like this. Sure. If I hadn't been able to sort of hash things out and and sort of which is which is great. That's what I mean. That's like the good part about how a book should be. I think mm-hmm. not all of them, but but in this kind of thing, like we can go over it, and so it doesn't even have to be great because it's providing a kind of experience where you're chewing on it and thinking about it, and and I think that adds a lot. Mm. I like that part. Doomsday Clock Seven. Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson, Rob Lee. Another refrain that remains the same. I don't know what this is. Hey man, something's happening now though. That's all I thought when I was reading. By got by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, "All right, well here we go at least." Yeah, exactly. But it's seven issues in. I don't mind that. More dicks this week in a DC book. Sure. Doctor Manhattan's in there. My first instinct is at the beginning. I can't really fault them for this, but in the beginning there was definitely that that callback basically to Watchmen. It's it is this time. It is this place. Yeah. It is this. Thing. And it's it's basically the idea that Doctor Manhattan experiences all these things at one time. Right. And part of me is like, yeah, you don't have to do this because they already did it and it was perfect. But I, that's what the whole thing is. So yeah, yeah. So the heroes, the weird grouping of heroes, fake Rorschach and Ozymandias and Johnny Thunder and Saturn Girl, have found Doctor Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's a accident. <laughs> they rescued Batman and comedian from the Joker and Mime and whatever that guy's name is. And uh, Doctor Manhattan appears and takes away everybody but Joker and Batman. <laughs> To wherever it, wherever it was, they went, and they have a chat. You know what I liked? What? I always do feel like wa- the one thing that Watchmen left us with was, like, I want to know more about Dr. Manhattan, mm-hmm. and I want to spend more time with him. And this really did scratch that itch of, like, that dude, that's a fascinating character that was set up. Yeah. Jeff Johns is, I think, doing a really good job at what he's writing seems to be in character. And the bits at the end, I thought, were really, really well-crafted. Yeah, I thought the last sequence was really good and interesting. So he lets them yeah. all go, and we see a bunch of, you know, a flash of imagery as Dr. Manhattan looks around through time, and we see the kid, fake Rorschach, mailing something to Lois Lane, and, and we see Black Adam killing people, and we see Batman, and, and then he sees Superman running at him, swinging to punch him, and then he sees Black, and he sees nothing beyond that. So, And then they spell it right out for us. <laughs> Which is fine. It still looks great. I, I mean, I mean, there's bits in here where Gary Frank is doing almost Bolland level Joker stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's real good artwork. Now I, I still think the problem is it's Gary Frank kind of doing somebody else, but I felt like he was a little more free here. It's the best Joker though. If you're gonna do it, it might as well do it. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. The Joker was a little silly in this, but it worked. It feels like Jeff Johns was leading towards this point, and it took so long that the rest of DC said, we're just going to go over here. And they went mm-hmm. sort of the Tom King way, where all these other big events are happening and Heroes in Crisis is happening, and, and Doomsday Clock seems to be relevant to nothing else in the DCU. I mean, I'm fine with that. I I'm feel fine like with reading it, but it just feels like Jeff set up – the DC Rebirth book to be like, hey, we realize the DCU is fucked up. We're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And then he set up all these other stories that they helped do, like the button. Mm-hmm. And then it was all leading to this Doomsday Clock story. And then it, this has taken so long that it just sort of feels inconsequential. And comics don't have to be all tied in, but 
they made a big deal of announcing it with the big DC Rebirth special and, oh, we're going to fix all these characters that have felt wrong and it just hasn't happened. And it's weird. I I mean, I, I think I, I'll feel like I'd be able to speak to that better when it's over because I just don't know. Yeah. But I'm also not paying that close of attention to it. It's just strange. Know. It feels like he just got passed by. Can I take a sidebar diversion that has nothing to do with anything? Sure. Okay. I was thinking about it, and uh, every time I see Matthew Good, who played Osmandius in the Watchmen movie, I get really happy because I think he makes a fantastic erudite asshole. He makes everything better. He's really great. He's just in The Crown, yep. which I'm, it sucks because he's not going to be anymore. <laughs> and then I was watching, there's an Agatha Christie murder thing that is on Amazon now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Nye. And he's in that, and he's he, he's an even bigger asshole. And I was like, and so like in retrospect, I'm like, he was a perfect Osmandius. Oh, he was great. He was I, I mean, like, because I just I don't know, like, but like with all the context that came after the fact, I was like, wow, he really was a good choice for it. And I don't think that we gave that enough credit. <laughs> no, every time I see him, I get excited. Yeah, old man Hawkeye nine also in the mix, but I was like, I can't pick this again. <laughs> that that age old like. All right, fine. For something to really be put up there for the third or fourth time, like it has to really be spectacular. But it remains terrific. And so we jumped the gun last issue when it was picked. We thought that Hawkeye had killed Songbird. <laughs> oh, they did that to us. We didn't, you know. We assumed that was what was happening because he had killed everyone else he encountered from sure. Thunderbolts. But turns out he didn't kill her. And they have a conversation until Bullseye shows up. And then there's a terrific fight in the cathedral. And what's great, though, is that this isn't even the big fight. No. <laughs> That's, and, and it was a great fight. I was like, this is a wonderful action scene. And there's a bit where, he, where you know, Bullseye's disappointed because he's really literally just spoiling for a fight. And he's like, oh, you're not going to be able to help. You're blind. And then he's like, hey, you know, this is a fight. It was wonderful. It was that, you know, it was kung fu. It was, it was great. This is, I mean, out of nowhere, man. Marco Cicchetto, we've known for a while, is really good. But I think he's doing some career work in this miniseries. Yeah, And Ethan Sachs, as we talked about, is a former reporter from the New York Daily News, and I don't know how he got this good at writing comics, but it's all working. Yes. And it's super fun. Whenever a new issue comes out, I'm really excited to read it. I mean, you got muscle car chases, you got sort of Mad Max on the road. and Marco Cicchetto's done a bunch of things, but the first thing he did that I remember was he was, was some miniseries that Greg Rucker wrote that was really good. Was it Punisher? It was a Punisher. I think it was a Punisher miniseries, or it was like the end of a Punisher run. Mm-hmm. That was great, and I was like, "This guy's pretty good." And then he did a bunch of stuff. Was okay, but like, this is sort of the promise of that thing. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what drugs Ethan Sachs is taking, but <laughs> performance enhancing drugs. It's good. Probably. It's really, really, really good. The Amazing Spider-Man number six. Also, real close. Nick Spencer, Humberto Ramos, and we're going to talk about the other art in a second, but. I mean, this book continues to be really fun. It was a small issue, basically, in which Peter tries to deal with having a roommate who's also a supervillain, and they, basically the crux of it is I'm going to a Spider-Man trivia night because Peter says, oh, I'm, a, I'm an expert in Spider-Man. But the middle section, one, two, three pages. So we, at one point we turn the page, and it's, it's Shocker, and it's uh, who are the boomerang, and who's the third guy? The car guy. Oh, right. Overdrive? Yeah, that sounds right. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And I scrolled back to the front, to the title page, and it, the art is only listed as Humberto Ramos. Hidden so Lieber. I, so I went back and I was like, is, is Ramos doing Steve Lieber? And I was like, <laughs> is it possible Ramos is way more talented than we ever realized? I think he's great. I love his art, but yeah. it's such a different style. And I was really impressed because I thought it was him doing Lieber. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is a incredible why isn't anybody talking about this i i did the same thing but i did not come to that conclusion i thought oh there's just some libra pages in here cool so i kept going and then at the end you know it's the surprise credit mm-hmm. spectacular super spo, uh, foes of, uh, superior foes of spider-man pages by steve lieber and Ra- rochelle rosenberg i was like oh okay i mean yeah. it's still awesome but i was for a minute that's i was a, like I wow like that's some insider stuff like i can't imagine many people re- read that yeah you know, and then, and that's like a, you know, Steve Lieber's, he's not even a fan's favorite. He's like a, he's like a pro favorite. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a pro's pro. Either way, I was, I was like, oh, oh, it got me kind of excited. This is a, this is a really fun issue. Just overall, it's, it's got just the right amount of silly. Nick Spencer is, I was saying this the whole time, is the right guy for Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man is a little too silly, a little too goofy. But he's also smart and Nick yeah. is, 
Smart too. <laughs> be too smart for his own good. Yeah. In that sense. And so you, he's tried to apply that to other things and it didn't work, but sort of the, like, he, I don't know, like, the dude just found the tone that he could write really well and is, is doing a great job with it. And if you think it like Peter Parker's, this guy is a fish out of water. He doesn't fit in anywhere. And then he just found his most perfect thing in what would be supposedly the worst possible place. <laughs> so he goes to a villain bar with his roommate <laughs> And he's like, this is terrible. I'm surrounded by all my villains. This is going to go badly. Then it was revealed that it's Spider-Man trivia night. Because, of course, Spider-Man's villains have a Spider-Man trivia night. In costume. In costume. And Peter just wrecks everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I like that the thing was that, like, he was right. I really was, I was like, please don't make this a thing where he knows the answer and everybody else is saying it's wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be, and then he's, you know, it's his identity. Hey, who, are, who really are you? You know, blah, blah, blah. I like that. Uh, what's the, the robot that they have there? The living brain, which is <laughs> definitely not a Chinese made knockoff of the living brain. Yeah. You know, the, that is just, it just knew all the answers. That was the arbiter of it. But also, I like that when he wins, the villains are all like cheering him. They're basically, yeah. they're basically carrying him on their shoulders. And it's kind of like, listen, I know this is wrong. However, <laughs> I haven't had a moment like this in a while, so I'm going to take it. I, it was I, a I great love it. issue. It was a really terrific. This is this was probably in the second position behind. The cover for the next issue is fantastic too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, this is this might be my favorite Marvel book right now. This is one of those things where like Nick Spencer had had written that Boomerang character, and just for a half a second, he shows up. And you're like, oh come on, you're going to use this guy again? But now I'm like, this is absolutely the right choice. Like, not <laughs> enough people got to know it before. Put him in here. He's interesting, and the way that you write him is unique. 100% do it. Uh, that was all really good. Let's take a quick break to talk about iFanboy and how you can help you, dear listeners. We uh, depend on you to keep the show going, and you really do do a great job of helping us. At patreon.com slash iFanboy, that's where you can go sign up, become a member. You get all kinds of member benefits, including voting the patron pick, getting us patron power, doing the monthly patron hangouts, all kinds of fun stuff, including the, the private Facebook group we have where people are chatting all the time on it, including... Very mean polls at which is the best I fanboy member. Did I win? I don't remember. Uh, it's not true at all. You won the which I fanboy am I closest to in taste poll. Okay. No shit. Yeah. Which is weird. <laughs> surprising. Considering years ago. Anyway, all kinds of fun stuff at patreon.com. We have stretch goals there. That's how we get to the next level. And our next stretch goal is a non-comics media podcast once a month. Josh and I will talk about something in non-comics media, much like the all-media podcast at the end of the year. But we added a second part of that stretch goal, and that is we will upload all the missing full-length video shows and minis uh, to our YouTube channel and re-embed them on the website. They were all The old shows were all just recently removed from the internet by Discovery. We, we only have our newer ones that, we've, that we distributed ourselves. So if you want to see the you old ones... you know what ones, I have in front of me? What's that? I have in front of me a hard drive. That has the final episode of every episode that I ever edited. Oh, wow. Right. That I dug out. And I edited m- mo- the bulk. I don't know about the majority, but I definitely have the plurality, probably most. I don't think that's accurate, but you have you have a lot of them. I think it is because of the way that we were set up at the time. And also, whenever there was an opportunity to edit, I always volunteered. So I did the, co- the con shows and everything. We split the other ones up. Mm. I just really like doing it. So we have those, and we can, we'll upload them if we hit the next goal, which is only about $300 away. So if, if 100 listeners out there join up to Patreon, just 100 listeners, which is a small fraction of the listenership, we can get to that next goal. You can get all those shows re-embedded on the internet, and we'll have a great time. Also, T-shirt store, fanboy.thirdless.com. Seven shirts. You can find all the designs there, including our most popular, which is the Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters nihilistic T-shirt. <laughs> GDAC just sold another shirt, Josh. I was hovering over a GDAT phone case <laughs> so, just yesterday. You can get them on shirts. You can get them on phone cases. You can get them on bath mats. You can get them on all kinds of things over at fanboy.thirdless.com. Fanboy.com. Like, that's going to be a fun conversation in my office. <laughs> what is that? That's GDAT. It's a goddamn you should America. do it. Fanboy.com slash support. Direct donation via PayPal is found there. You can help us out if you want to become a patron or buy a t-shirt, which is totally fine. People do that all the time. Fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find links to buy our Booksplode books as well as a general Amazon link. So we do thank everyone who helps us out in all the various ways. You do keep the show going. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Justice League Odyssey number one, which I assume you did not read. No. no. Which is, I mean, the whole DC metal slash the source wall broke and the stupid force and the strong force, that stuff's all bad. I don't like any of it. I'm making a hand gesture right now. But 
Justice League Odyssey number one is is one of the books that spun out of that, including we had Justice League Dark, which is all the magic characters plus Wonder Woman. This is Justice League Odyssey, which I guess is a re- reference to Cosmic Odyssey, and it has some of the more cosmic characters, include Cyborg, uh, Jessica Cruz, Green Lantern, Starfire, Azrael for some fucking reason, and the surprise member of the team, which is spoiled on the cover but is revealed as a big surprise in the issue, is Darkseid, which was funny considering how great Darkseid is in the Mr. Miracle book and how different he is in this book, as we discussed oh, last issue. Fine. He is younger. He's got like a hood, which the, the old Darkseid used to have a hood, which is not that out of the realm. But he's got all those Omega symbols on him. Like a, It's just not the same, guys. It's just not the same. It's fine. Written by Josh Williamson, who was really good. Art by Stefan Sajic, who did yep. the terrific run on Aquaman. It looks great. I actually really like this issue. I'm glad to hear that. Even though I don't like the premise, even though I hate Azrael with a burning passion. How do you feel about anarchy? <laughs> I, I don't mind anarchy. I, he didn't take over for Batman and become an asshole. Yeah. He's just true. annoying. He's, he's, also, he's not French. <laughs> I like the French. It's John Paul. Is Jean he Paul French Valley. or is he like French Canadian? It's probably French Canadian. Uh, that is even worse. <laughs> so... And even though it's a reminder that uh, the way that they've done the new gods is stupid, uh, I really enjoyed it. I think there's one, two, three, four, five. I can see at least six Omega symbols on Darkseid's clothing. It's too see much. See how long the artist wants to keep that up. It's too much. They probably do it with Photoshop. Just paste them on. The thing is, his tailor's like, oh, I don't really want. think this is a good idea. And he's just like, more Omega symbols. Like, okay. Well, I mean... It, to be to be fair, on Apocalypse, most of the service workers are not happy with their lot in life. <laughs> so it's not like Darkseid's gonna do like if he thinks of it, you know, it would probably annoy that guy. <laughs> so Omega uh, this was actually fun, and if if you like that mix of characters, uh, Stefan Sajek is a really good artist. Hold on, hold on. We need to put Azrael on the list then. Yes, Azrael definitely goes on the list. Really, I don't think that I was aware that you because I missed most of Azrael. Well, the thing is, he was you know it was the whole broken bat thing bane broke bruce's back and asriel took over and he had the armor on and he was an asshole and he cut people up and you know what just came out was that bane like a collection of that whole bane story yeah i don't i don't want it nightfall yeah nightfall terrible i know maybe instead of our books of love fest we read something that was <laughs> that you thought was awful <laughs> the only thing here that is dumb is so you've got cyborg and starfire two veterans of the new teen titans you know from the 80s we know that Cyborg wasn't on that team because he's been with the Justice League from the beginning, mm-hmm. and yet it is implied that they were teammates and they're old friends. And it's like, no one knows what the fuck's happening in DC. If that is referring to the Teen Titans go to the movies yeah. continuity... Then you're fine. Uh, I'm totally fine with that. Have, do you, do you, are you aware of this film? Yeah, yeah, I'm aware. It exists, sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, you need to see it's a fine film. I don't care about that. There is a sequence. This is a spoiler. I'm, yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. There is a sequence where the Titans go back in time and stop Bruce's parents from being killed. Mm-hmm. But then they decide that was a bad idea, so they have to go back and then guide them down the alley again. <laughs> where you see the gunfire off screen as it flashes, and it's the most awkward thing. <laughs> it's a great movie. I've seen it twice. So there you go. The Justice League Odyssey. Let's talk about Shanghai Red number four. So you put this on the list. Christopher Isabella, Joshua Hickson, and... I want to talk about it because up until this point, the character of Red, who's been exacting revenge and all those who caused her to get Shanghai'd, as the title says, finally ran into some problems. Because up until this point, she's pretty much done what she's set out to do. She, she finds someone, she kills them. And so I was getting a little repetitive. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked that in this issue, the guy she goes to kill doesn't take it so kindly and then ends up blowing up in her face. So... She's got to overcome some obstacles here. She hadn't yep. had to really do that yet. I understand. So that was nice. And there's a pretty brutal fight that she had with the guy. Yeah, that's true. This might have been my favorite issue for that reason. Because it was like, oh, she, she's not just going to be very good at everything. She's going to re- face some adversity. I think that's probably the right choice yes. from a creative standpoint. Maybe four issues in wasn't the best place to show it. But that did sort of leave it, leave it that element of surprise. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like this a lot. I was I enjoyed this. I think the only thing that got me on this was a. I read it very late at night, and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I I need to be sleeping now. Mm-hmm. And so there was some time jumping that had sort of gone on, and yeah. I, I it was a couple of times where I couldn't tell if I was in the present or the past. Right. In the tunnels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. want to be in the tunnels. No. 
Don't go down there. Yeah, apparently, there are multiple tunnels. Yeah, there's different. There's, there's different the Shanghai systems. tunnel. There's the Chinese tunnel. That was a great sequence too, where she ends up in the it was. Chinatown segment. They're like, "Get out of here! Get in your own tunnel." And there was a whole speech about how we're going to destroy you eventually. Yeah, it was great. This was really great. I'm glad you told me to read it. I'm glad that you are still reading it and that you are enjoying it. I am. I feel like I, I have to touch on the century again. Oh boy. No kidding. This guy Kim Jacinto. This is like uh, this is some of my favorite art that's happening in comics right now. Hmm. You can see it on the cover. It's very, it's like Otley mixed with Humberto Ramos. Hmm. It's actually, it's very Otley like, and everything's a little exaggerated. And actually that works very well for the century. And when I think back, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Jay Lee wasn't the right choice to bring century into our world <laughs> because of that. But, it, you know, it, and it also goes along with the theme of, there's basically a thing that happens here that's sort of a big deal where we finally get off the, at least the, the one thing that this miniseries has done is it's done a lot of things with the centuries that we hadn't seen before and up to this point including the things that brian bendis did with the century it was the same thing every time right bob is sad because bob is crazy because if he becomes century then the void is going to come and that's really bad right. bob is scared blah 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 and this bob just sort of accepts it and then basically the end of it, the thing is he merges with the, the void and becomes uh, like the dark century. It's not really called the dark century, but basically it becomes – and he's like, I'm whole. I'm finally whole. And like the art is great. It's super you know, dynamic and over the top. And the century is sort of recognized for the threat that he is in a way that I actually buy as opposed to most of the time where it's just told and not shown. Hmm. Just, it's just you know, we, we keep talking about Jeff Lemire and, and like he's, uh, you know, he's in overdrive right now on a lot of different things. I think your turn on the century has been one of the untold stories of a fanboy. You turn towards him with love in your heart. That's a lot easier than the other. <laughs> is it? You know, like, not maybe not easier, but it's a lot more enjoyable than just <laughs> hating something for the sake of hating it. Like, for example, I'm not going to just hate Michael Chiklis for the rest of the world be, for no reason. <laughs> It's a waste of energy. Those are the comics we want to talk about. Go to ifanboy.com. You can find the post of the show and talk about the comics you want to talk about. But also, we talk about the patron pick. That's at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Every single patron gets about 48 hours to vote on a book to add to the rundown. And this week, it might have been the biggest blowout in patron pick history. I think it might have been. It was almost a 20-vote win for this book. Man Eaters number one. I found that surprising. Yes. Just because... So Man Eaters number one is written by Chelsea Kane. That's correct, right? Yep. Uh, she wrote the Mockingbird series. Mm-hmm. Mini, it turned out to be a miniseries, I guess, which ended sort of quickly. And then her cover, which was, what's Mockingbird's name? Bobby. 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 It's the shirt that says, ask me about my feminist agenda. And of course, that made all of the alt-right weirdos go nuts, which I'm fine with. But I don't remember any reaction from our fan base about that series at all. No. I think I'd mentioned it a couple times. I mentioned the first issue and I mentioned the last issue for sure. Mm-hmm. I know you read the first one. I thought the last issue was actually really pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. It had the, the Phantom Cowboy guy and the, the, his name is he's in the white suit with the hat. Mm-hmm. And it was really weird. I thought the art was great. So this is the same team who did that, I think. So I was just surprised to see that much of a reaction. But maybe over time that story became bigger or whatever. Is it the same artist? Is it Kate Nimsick? I think it is. I didn't know that until I was reading it, but then I, I was like, I recognize that name, and I feel like that would be the only place. Uh, we can check up on that while one of us is talking. She's really, really good. Yes. And I, I will say, uh, right away, first thing I saw in this is sort of some artwork. It, there's basically a um, like a public notice, It'd be advised of a cat attack. It's sort of silly. And then there's a cartoony, tampon-based superhero, and I thought, is this going to be like angry independent comics kind of thing and then it very quickly settles into what is a fairly straightforward kind of story there's definitely a social commentary going on in the background of it well first we have to get the huge mistake out of the way okay which really bugged me page four when the the narrator the, the girl is talking about her dad explaining how her dad's a cop she says, when I tell people my dad's a cop, they think of this. And you see oh, I Tom Selleck as Thomas Magnum from Magnum P.I. We see Don Johnson, uh, Sonny Crockett from Miami Vice. And Sonny Crockett's a cop. Mm-hmm. Thomas Magnum. P.I. A fucking P.I. It's in the title. Magnum P.I. I don't think he was ever a cop. I think he went from the Navy to become a P.I. I think. Boy, wait. Actually, I'm sorry. I know we have a show to do. I never thought of this to now. How did he pay for the Ferrari? Uh, Higgins. Higgins was the caretaker for Robin Masters, who was the rich author. 
And those were all Masters' cars. Okay. He didn't pay for anything. He was living in the guest house. He drove the cars. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would, I would argue that what she said is this is what people think of when they think of a cop. And most people would probably think, yeah. And also then Tom Selleck went on to do the show Blue Bloods where he did play a cop for a while. The mustache is still iconic. He's got a cop vibe, if nothing. He went from Navy to PI. He never, I, ever, I, I ever was In a cop. In a literal sense, you're completely right. Are we able to move on from this? I don't know if I can. I was upset by the fact that when they started talking about a dad, first of all, I think that first page, your PI comment now was saying was very good. Yes, very good. And page. that instantly assuaged my fears of the first first page. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to be what that is. Because mm-hmm. it was a comment on like sort of what kids think of their dads. And I see like the dad who has a shirt that says best dad. And he's in bike shorts and he has a bike helmet and he's got a beard. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I went, oh, I, I'm firmly in this camp. Now, as they got as they went on and, and closed in on it, the dad got fatter. Yeah. That happened. <laughs> and then he went to the crime scene in his bike clothes, which I think is a mistake. He gets those off as soon as possible. Uh, you know, and then what followed after that I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Not spectacular, yeah. but pretty interesting. Felt like a mid-grade Vertigo book after its heyday. Right. So the conceit is that there's a mutation in cat poop, whatever that stuff is in it. They explained it at one point. I can't find the page where they explain it's, it. Uh, 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 you can talk. I, I, yeah. I know the word. I just... So there's a mutation which infects the populace because everyone's got some in them apparently. Hmm. And it infects some teenage girls, not all. So when they, f- they menstruate, they turn into cat beasts. Wild, no, feral. it affects everybody, but uh, most of the population is inoculated against it. But there are certain people to whom are immune, uh, and they're all uh, they're adolescent girls. And when they, you know, menstruate or, or mature, then they become giant killer cats. Right. And it's toxoplasmosis is the right. word they were looking for before. They've removed menstruation from society. Yeah, I mean, so Which... it's a it's a werewolf story with a menstruation slash feminist underpinning. That you're, they're trying to make a point, which I, I think is pretty valid. And and I, I find stories like this interesting because we get stories like this very often are, are written by men, and then this is trying to say a different thing. And the allegory I think tends to be a little more clear cut in this case. Mm-hmm. And to me, because it's different from so many, like basically a lot of man based werewolf stories are about the hidden beast within mm-hmm. the male rage that is constantly being checked or something like this. And this is a different spin on that to a certain extent. So I find that interesting. You know, it gets a different voice than I think I'm used to hearing in a story like this. Mm-hmm. At times, I think it was a little on the nose. That was my biggest criticism, other than the Thomas Magnum stuff, which I can go back to if you'd like. I mean, if you have to get it out, I understand. It's a little on the nose and a little over the top. Just a little. Mm hmm. Obviously, they're going for a certain vibe, which is somewhat silly. It's not silly because there's a serious underpinning to it, but it's somewhat silly. It's not exactly The Handmaid's Tale, although it's, it's in that realm. I'm going to make a sweeping generalization right now. Yeah. I have spoken before. This is terrible. And uh, you're going to – I don't even know. I've spoken before about the fact that some of the, for lack of a better term, millennial humor uh-huh. doesn't speak to me in the same way that, say, the stuff from the specifically my generation would have been mm-hmm. a little more subtle. And I feel like this is an example of that where part of like the sense of humor now that is a little more widespread tends to be a little more on the nose and a little more over the top. Which and is it's, funny because Chelsea Kane is older than us. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that she's not tapping into a vein that. Oh I'm no, she she totally is. Tap. Yeah, but I think that's part of it. Like this is just how I find media to be in general where it's a little more like they're telling more often just sort of letting it be noted because otherwise it goes over people's heads because they're looking on a phone every other page right yeah that got very old man in bike shorts there <laughs> but but you what i said like that criticism I, I think you and i both have it i think it's valid but i also think it's subjective oh for sure i i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying for yeah. me it's little just it's like two notches over the top, which it's some, not. It's, yeah, it's not horrible. And then there's the other that you go way over the, you know, like, and it wasn't so much that it really turned me off because I've seen that too. There was whatever that meat book we had to read was. Oh was yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It was like okay, I get it. Oh, this was okay. good. This was good, and the art yeah. was terrific. Kate Nemsek should get a lot of work all the time. I agree. Let's do ratings out of five. Ratings. Three point seven five. Ooh, interesting. I was going three point five. Okay. But that's that's fair as well. Yeah, same artist as as on Mockingbird. Yeah, sticking with it. I might read the next one. Yes. But as I'm on the fence with a lot of things, and I didn't really love it. And you're and cutting books. That, you're in the midst. I'm trying. You're to. in the midst of a purge. We didn't really. You sort of mentioned it 
offhandedly, but you're purging at the moment. I mean, it's a very low key purge. I feel like I owe too much to the. I need to give enough stuff, you know, time. Yeah. To do the show properly, but <laughs> I got some of the things I got to just stop. Josh talks about three books. <laughs> That's what I used to do. <laughs> That's true. I feel like I've really, really stepped it up in the early days. Like I wasn't reading anything. That's true. All right, so. Patreon.com slash iFanboys where you can go you can vote your patron pick. Thanks, patrons who voted for Manators, who I probably wouldn't have read it otherwise, so thank you for that. Watch out, boys. It'll chew you up. Also at Patreon.com slash iFanboy, if you give the $5 or higher level, we thank you on the show live by giving you a sometimes dumb, sometimes cool, often duplicated superpower. I apologize for that, but I also don't take it back. <laughs> I, it, was a, it was a notes issue yeah, sure. and a memory issue. Sure. But don't, you know what? Don't apologize. Who's to say that powers don't reoccur in close proximity to one another? We know for certain what reading comics that many people have very similar powers. Or That's true. Same. That's true. Yeah. Uh, do you know about Mike G? I don't know about him. What, what, Mike what about G, him? Say that you have a customer service issue and you've got to call the number. Yep. Do you want to do that? Not usually. Never want to do that. So what happens when Mike G has a customer service problem or somebody close to him does his eyeballs flip over and they turn white like a super villain <laughs> okay um and then he automatically knows the direct number to the person who can actually and will assist him Ooh. yeah he, he can call up amazon and get the person interesting so he, he yeah. basically can automatically dial anyone's the real number the real number is a direct line to the person I mean, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean they're going to be sitting at the desk. He might get the voicemail. It might be after hours, but that's the right number. With telepathy, his 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 eye. It's like a savant. Yeah. Interesting. It, it, the key part is that his eye, the pupils go away for a minute, and then he just knows the thing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very useful. I think so. T. Scott Benefield. Uh, so have you? Seen, good name. You've seen Mary Poppins. Uh-huh. Not for a long, long, long time. Yeah, but you, time. you know when, when Bert becomes the one-man band, he's performing mm-hmm. in the park, he's got the, the drums and the cymbals, and he can play, he's got all the penguins. things attached to him, before mm-hmm. the penguins show up, but he's actually in, in reality. Right. T. Scott Benefield can do that, he becomes the one-man band, and he can play expertly songs, and you would think it's the real band singing them, but it's only the Gin Blossoms. Oh, I hate jealousy. Yeah. He, he, it's like he doesn't actually pick up an instrument. It just pops out of him. He, he becomes one man band and he sounds exactly like the Gin Blossoms. He found out about you. Baby, we can ride around this town. We can let the, to- the cops chase us around. Wait, so does it sound exactly like, like, say, the recorded track of the Gin Blossoms or are they reinterpretations of those songs in one man band format? It sounds exactly like them, whether it's the recorded version or their live performance. It sounds exactly are there, like Gin Blossoms. Wonder, are there live recorded Gin Blossoms performances? I'm sure there are. Hmm. They're very popular tonight. It's just the one band. Just them. He can, That's all he can who do. Who had the one and a half hits 25 years ago. They had at least three hits. C- go on. I, can, I, I mean, I can, can we look it up? Hey, Jealousy. Uh, found out about you. One you. Found out about you. That's, that's one and a half. That's two hits. You can't take well, away their hits. No one talks about found out about you. Is their first hit? I think. I believe that was uh, in in uh, in uh, Empire Records. All right, you know what? Let me. I'll round it up to two hits just for the sake of of academics. But you know, they're, they're right now they're one step above Marty Playground. No, let's see. Who had one hit? They were all over the. Um, why can't I find Tin Blossoms? Here no, I mean, it's played are. all the time for a while, but it's, it's one of those things where. Until I hear thing. it from you, that was from Empire Records. They had three hits. Okay. So they're like a Goo Goo Dolls level band? They also had Until I Fall Away, which is a minor hit as well. I don't remember that. Well, you're going to hear it on the show. Oh. Oh. Well, I don't listen to <laughs> they had. I'm going to say they had four, three and a half hits, which is a lot of hits. Uh. All right. Oh, but oh, you can assign half a hit. Well, I'm just saying I, I would say four, but I'm 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 saying that, you would say all half. Within a com- that was all within a combined period. Period. Short period. So for a while. It's one of those things like a band like that I've noticed can tour today. Oh, for sure they and do. People they do will tour go. Today. Oh, for sure. And it's a, it was a package tour, I think, for the Gin Blossoms this year. My coworker goes to all those '90s and '80s nostalgia tours. That sounds awful. 
Gin Blossoms tour. But that's because they're all those bands that I wouldn't have you liked. You hate them. Then. Yes, no, that it's literally all those early nineties bands. Not even not even bad or good, just boring. Sort of non They're playing uh let's see. They're in Utica. Utica, New York. Oh, they're playing in Deadwood? The Deadwood Mountain Grand Hotel and Casino? Yeah. I mean, they're still what out there. they doing this whole time? They can't be living off those four hits. Like Four hits plus touring. They've been to- I bet you they've been touring nonstop since the 90s. That's, not, that's no way to live for, oh. for 50-year-old men. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, not like they're the Rolling Stones where like, they tour and they come away and they have a million dollars. No, but I mean, I'm, if you get four hits, I'm sure that at least the songwriter, the main guy, has been doing you know, respectable, yeah. respectable living. The, they're, they're Ed Kowalczak. They live in. They're from Arizona. They probably live there. It's yeah. cheap. Okay. How old are these guys? Let's see. This is everyone is definitely into this. Yeah, they're almost sixty. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, Oof. no, they'd have to be. Everybody who was an adult doing a thing that was still a little young when we were that age is now sixty. Yeah. So like every time uh, when I was watching ER at the beginning, when you'd see somebody go, "Oh, I remember that that actress. Oh, she was really pretty." Sixty. So they took 98 to 2002 off. They broke up. Exactly. So they broke up for four years. But for only four years. They started in 87. But in 2002, what they thought is, all right, we'll just hop back on this horse. And then they got there and they're like, oh, no, this is Limp Biscuits world. What are we going to do? <laughs> they toured. I guess. Like, I bet they toured like Dubai and shit. This is the Gin Blossoms hour now. This is what you can get if you can get us to the next <laughs> yeah, exactly. patron. <laughs> now we're going to lose patrons. Like, oh, uh, I, don't, definitely don't, I don't want it. That's for sure. All right, let's move on. I think you think the Empire Records soundtrack is a bigger deal than I think it was. Oh, it was a huge deal. Everyone, <laughs> almost everyone outside of people like Josh in college had the soundtrack or listened or loved the movie and listened and loved the music from it. Almost everyone outside of people like me in college was boring. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Going to our college radio station and being like, I can't, I'm, we're going to do college radio. I, I've been wanting to do this. This will be great. And then they're like, what we do is we do popular music of the times. And I was like, no, forget it. And I didn't do it because it was boring. I thought they were going to play bad, weird music that no one knew. Gin Blossoms, The Cranberries, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Better Than Ezra, Evan Dando. Oh, he was okay. I had that one lemon, lemon heads album. All right, let's go. Come on. Next oh, man. one. I'm, I'm sorry. Did everyone enjoy that? <laughs> John Fitter. If you ask John any question that involves a numerical answer mm-hmm. or figures or numbers or things that have to be, he doesn't say the answer. A series of clicks take place and ticker tape comes out of his ear. <laughs> the answer on it. Uh, that's terrific. I love everything about that. <laughs> yeah. Does he have to, it, when he rips it off, what happens? Does the paper go back in his head? I did that. I think that little tab is still accessible, um, but he can fold it back. So they're like, if he goes in the shower, it's not ruined. It doesn't get in the way normally. It's just, <laughs> it's a feature, not a bug. So it's, he's like an old adding machine. He makes that great sound. <laughs> What's great is that you can test if he's sleeping or not. <laughs> like if he's pretending to be asleep, <laughs> it won't come out. <laughs> or, or if he's pretending to be asleep, the answer will come out. But if he's not really, so you can force him to do it. He ha- like it adds up and, and prints out no matter if, whether he wants to or not. It's involuntary. It's one of your best ones in a while. Jason Grigsby can turn into foliage. They can turn into a bush. But here's the thing. He's got big cartoon eyes that pop out. Do they make a noise? They boink, boink. They look around. Boink, boink. <laughs> <laughs> are they two-dimensional, two three-dimensional? They're two-dimensional eyes. <laughs> boink, boink. Boink, boink, boink. And then you can pop but back to human is, form. The bush is, is real life. It's a real bush. It's not, bush. it's not a cartoon bush. How big are the eyes? Is it Pretty is big. It, is it proportional I mean, to the size of the foliage? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. If he, if he turns into a giant tree, I guess the eyes would be a little bigger. Okay. So they like, are they like... Makes sense. It makes sense when you look at it. Okay. Okay. You're like, oh, okay, that's the right size eyes. If he, clo- if, he clo- if he closes the eyes, do they go away? <laughs> they sort of fade into the bush, but if you look hard enough, they're still there. Okay. Just one black line. Yeah. You can turn into a palm tree. You can turn into a, a redwood. 
Where are the eyes on a palm tree? Are they up top? In the palms. They... No, no, the eyes are in the body of the tree. The trunk. Yeah, the trunk. I call them body, but that's all right. I'm not a scientist. Okay. <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. And we spent so long on the shin blossoms. I guess we can do one email, but I was hoping to get at least two. All right. Go to pick. Pick. Craig from Michigan. Do you know why thought bubbles are not widely utilized anymore? I started reading comics sporadically off spinner racks in the Bronze Age and I've occasionally read omnibus collections from past ages and the thought bubbles were super common. Now it seems like a character will just speak their thoughts aloud, which in certain situations seems very unrealistic. I thought the thought bubble was a very effective way of indicating inner monologue. Did creators drop it because they thought it was cheesy? I've been thinking about this silently, mind you, on and off for probably 25 years. I don't think it's accurate that the characters speak their thoughts aloud. I think that what that is a different thing that you're seeing um, is that the they have to get across some information somehow and it's exposition that maybe previously had been put into the thought balloons but they sort of weave it into the dialogue or instead of you know tell they tell you don't show you well the thought balloons got replaced by the caption the first person narrating yes and that that's a that's a uh, what i would guess is a 19, it's a 1986 uh thing. i mean yeah they they i think there's the idea that a thought bubble is old-timey and cheesy as you Somebody said in your email. did a cool comic book, and I don't know if it's Watchmen, but I'm almost certain Watchmen doesn't use thought balloons. Yeah, they don't. So somebody did a cool comic, and then all like all of Rorschach's stuff is in caption form. Yep. And I feel like that is probably the point where you saw the big. It, it, I don't think it was instant, but I think no. overall. But I think I think it just it was a, another demarcation, like like mm-hmm. cool. Adult comics use captions, uh, whereas old children's comics use thought bubbles, and that's kind of where it, what it came down to. Did Dark Knight did, also used uh, captions? Yeah, was it Bendis? Was well, gonna... the, it's, it's it's come back a little bit. Bendis brought it back in Mighty Avengers, and he's used it a right. couple times. Jason Aaron also brought it back. I've noticed a couple of times. It's not widespread, and they tend to be mostly when they want to contrast what a character's thinking versus saying, like for a joke. They've come back here and there, but really. Josh's favorite trope, the first-person narration, is really taken over comics since the late 80s and shows no signs of abating. No. Yeah, no, I, I don't like that. I, I, I don't mind it in – but there was – I think it was in the New 52. Like every single book was just the guy explaining to you in his head what had happened. Mm-hmm. It's like a voiceover, which is cheap. The fact of the matter is they never went away. They just changed from, from cloud form yeah. to, to box form. I do think that the I think that the box the caption they tend to write it in more of the voiceover form. Well, sure, the way they're written are different, but basically they serve the same function. Yes, absolutely. They, they're, they're portraying the same information. It's just not. It's just. It's just. Tr- yes, it's the same information in a different form, both physically and sort of stylistically. And I think, you know, it's just it's just trends and time, and it's you know what's cool or what isn't. Yeah. There's a fear of going back to that thing that was uncool before, but when comics were uncool. But then you have the other thing, which is, you know, like, wait, what if we do this thing that we used to do, and first you sort of do it ironically, and it's kind of funny, and then all of a sudden it's not ironic anymore, it's just normal again, and then that will turn around and then not be cool. Right. You know, that, it, it's just a stylistic thing. It's funny, though, because you've been thinking about it for 25 years, which is literally, it's not new. Yeah, no, not at all. I think we can do one more. Let's do Davin. Okay, I'm fine with that. Do Davin. Davin says, uh, I was listening to 650, episode 650, uh, when the topic of naming children after comic characters came up. I'm a big proponent of that idea and often compare it to naming your child after biblical, Greek polytheistic, or even historical characters. My wife and I haven't had children yet, but we've thrown around ideas like Reed or Parker for when the time comes. We even have our dogs named after characters, though. Oliver after Mr. Queen. Sorry, Josh. And Kenzie after the Mouse Guard character. I like that. Are there other names that you would consider for children? No, but that's okay. I think it's if you want to, there's nothing wrong with it. If that's what you it want is. to do. I think I think in order to do that, you better really love that character. <laughs> well, I think We're not. it's pretty safe to really love it if you love Peter Parker. I mean Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, I heard Parker. I was thinking of Darwin's oh. uh, the Rich the Richard what's his We talked about it on six fifty. We both said Josh hasn't done it, we wouldn't do it. But that's fine. That's just us. You can do it. Nothing wrong with yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own aesthetic and yeah. whatever whatever your thing is. I mean, this is literally what we were talking about before when we were talking about the, the Chelsea Kane book. Like, if it's too on the nose, I think it's uninteresting. If it's more subtle, you know, or, or if it's... But also, like, I really do think, like, it's your kid's name, so don't make their name a joke. Or, yeah. like, don't make their not 
They're, your kid's name shouldn't be a wink. You know what I mean? Your dog's name. Yeah, but pe- name. people well, often name kids after people. You know, there's a lot of does, there's a lot of athletes named after Jackie Robinson, especially black athletes. That's but that's a that's a hero, right? Well, it's a, but, but also he does say I compare it to naming your child after biblical or Greek polytheistic or even historical characters. Now, biblical characters have a lot of. Uh, I mean, all names are biblical. So my name is. You know, like that's just sort of what was done because it was considered to be completely real and serious. You know, polytheistic. Greek. I mean, if you want to name your kid Hades, go ahead or mm-hmm. Ares. But you know, that's that's a tough one to pull off. Or historical characters. I can see a reason for that. But fictional corporate-owned characters, not right. as much. But I do think that our like, like if you read history and you read about the kind of things that people talk about, like the founding fathers, for example, in that era, people who were intelligent, people uh, who were educated, would constantly refer to biblical things and they would refer to classical things. So Roman history, Greek history, these kinds of things, mm-hmm. because that was their pop culture. Right. And that was the thing that they were schooled on, whereas we are schooled in, you know, 70s cinema and, you know, like like things like that. And and so in that way, it is the same, I think, because I always used to think, well, geez, I wish I could quote Plato. And I think, well, no, I can quote uh, Taxi Driver. It's the same thing, but it's different time. Right. But like some, you know, people who know a lot about Plato, you know, would consider it less than. And I'm like, it's exactly the same thing. Well, I'll say this culture. I'm looking at the most popular baby names of 2017. Thanos. Well, number 31 was Khaleesi for girls. See, that's terrible. First of all, because you don't know how that show is going to end. It could end like <laughs> Battlestar Galactica at the end, where you loved it for years, and then at the end you were like, I don't know, I just don't care anymore. So, I mean, it happens. Yep. For sure. Do what makes you happy. I agree with that. I agree with that. But also think of your children. Think of the children. <laughs> Won't we think of the children? <laughs> Contact at ifanboy.com. That's where you can come and maybe get an email in if we have time when we're not talking about 90s bands that Josh hates and I don't. I don't hate them. It's not the same thing as hate. I don't get it. I don't know what the point is. I could go on and people are like, man, he's a snob. And I'm like, I know, but I'm not even half as bad as I used to. You managed to strip away a lot of your snobbiness in all areas except for music, which is like the most perfect thing because the music snob is the worst snob. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta. I really want that guy at the record store to like me. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know his name, but I want his respect. Damn it! This month, uh, we recorded and released our books. Blowed on Superman Blue. We're ahead of the game. That's right. So next month, I owe you all fine folks a talks blowed creator interview show. Working on that. We'll figure out it'll it'll be out sometime in October. Did you set it up? Nope. Okay. No, I don't want to set it up too early. Okay. Um, it's also it's it's we're heavy into con season right now. Yeah, that's true. It's tough to if you go too far out during con season then. You lose track, so you kind of got to be able to lock and load. We also have a handful of books we're talking about for the next book split. We haven't decided yet. Yeah. But we have a couple of nominees. Yep, that's Some true. Some of them keep the theme going of old books we loved. Some of them are not. Or didn't even know. Didn't know we loved some other, other kind of underwear. We don't have anything else to plug, but we wanted to plug our old co-host Ron Richards' new podcast, Finale, in which he and his co-host Carrie watch the finale of a TV show that Ron has watched all of and Carrie has seen none of. And you can find that at finalepodcast.com. The first episode was on Gilmore Girls. The second episode was on Smallville. That's of interest to our listeners. Interesting to hear someone's thoughts on a finale episode who has never seen the show before. So you can check that out. It's, it's out now. As opposed to this show when we never know if we're talking about the finale of a comic series. Right. That could be our new podcast. Is it the final issue? <laughs> it was for a while. So that's uh, finalepodcast.com. You can find it on all your podcast aggregators out there in podcast land. In the meantime, head over to fanboy.com. You can find all of our podcasts. There's our special editions, our books explodes, our talk explodes, everything we've, we've done. We're, we're coming into the final turn of the year, which means we'll be getting close to the all-media podcast. And there's no Star Wars movie this year, so there won't be a Star Wars podcast. We're getting close to the end for this, this year. Solo. Did we? Yeah. I don't remember. It was... Five months ago. <laughs> I remember nothing about that movie. If you want to know what the pick is before the show comes out, if you want to know what the pick is before the show comes out, <laughs> did you just do a Jay Leno for a second? His WTF was interesting. It wasn't great, it was. but it was interesting. It was exactly. Yeah, like I didn't come out of it like I hate him or I like him, but I was like, well, that's a weird dude. And not in a bad way, just that's an interesting dude. You can like us at facebook.com slash ifanboy and follow us at ifanboy on Twitter. That's how you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Or you can do it on Patreon as well if you're a patron. We tell them too. You can follow us individually at J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram and at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. Yeah. I used to do a lot of voices. I don't ever do them anymore. 
You don't. But I do know that when I went to see Pearl Jam a few weeks ago, my wife was like, he sounds just like your impersonation of him when he talks. And because most people do the like, the Adam Sandler one. Right. And they don't do the talky one. Which is better. It's always better. Which is what he totally sounds like because I had a live concert in like 91. And I, that's where I got that from. And he does the same thing now. Sure. But several times he will introduce somebody and it's always that rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. <laughs> and it was like the guy from Buffalo Tom played with them because they're a Boston band. Right. Anyway, if if you if you if you dig the show, you know, I, you could write a review for this show or, or for finale. Uh, leave a star rating. That I mean, that that's what that's what means the most to us. Better yet, you know, tell your friends. Uh, go out there. Could give it up, could you? Yeah. Well, it just it, it takes everything uh, like three times as long. So <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. it's it's actually it's it's the same as a Matt Saracen impersonation from Friday Night Lights, except True. it's a deeper voice. Matt is no, we just can't get the words out. We've been watching Friday Night Lights. Tell your friends about the show. Help spread the iFanboy. Tim Riggins kind of has a lady face. Kind of, but it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. He's just very. He's very pretty. Yep. Help spread the iFanboy love uh, in any way that you can. We always appreciate that. I'm going to stop talking now. Okay. Well, that's it for this week's show. For the this latest edition of the Gin Blossoms podcast, I'm Connor. What, now I have Gin Blossoms songs stuck in my fucking head. I wasn't going to use one this week, but going to have to now. I don't. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> what if you chose something that I like that no one knows? That is, but isn't really like that. It's not actually that interesting. It's just what every like you know really basic hipster stuff. Like I'm not that cool that yeah. like you don't have never heard of what I'm listening to. It's just that you heard it and you don't get it. Sure, that's my thing. Okay. think about sometimes i think about my wife and how awful it must be for her to listen to me and then i just had the same thought about you and i felt bad for you <laughs> you are you also suffer well we suffer in silence 